Amen. I want to open with a scripture that throughout so much of my life I've had to come back to in Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. In fact, I want to put this on the screen for you, just so you can read that along with me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Different ones of us have different verses that we keep going back to, but I know in Tammy in my life, this is definitely something that the Holy Spirit of God has used to encourage our souls. I'll tell you why, and I, and I pray that it's an encouragement for your soul today too. Because it says, trust in the Lord with how much of your heart? All of it. And if you're like me, I can have the tendency of convincing myself that I'm all in with my heart. But here's the tricky part. And do not lean on your own understanding. Why would that phrase be in there? Because sometimes it feels that as you have been giving the Lord your whole heart and trusting in Him, it feels like you're lost. It feels like you're in territory or real estate that you shouldn't be in if you were truly following the Lord. Have you ever been confused by that? I've been confused by that numerous times. Because I think so many times we think when we give the Lord our whole heart, that everything in our life should be going smoothly or swimmingly, and everything should be all good and aligned, right? And then we follow the Lord, and we give Him more and more of our heart, and all of a sudden we find ourselves in terrain that causes us to have to depend on Him more. That's where it gets tough. Some of you, in fact, most all of us, are in that tough terrain. But then again, the reminder, in all your ways acknowledge who? Him. Remember, this is coming from wisdom literature. The Holy Spirit of God says, you want to be wise? Here's how you function. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will do what? He will make straight your paths. Well, how do you define make straight your paths? I have been on straight paths that have not been easy. I remember one time there was a guy who was teaching me how to fly fish, and it was in Colorado, and he says, okay, we're going to be hiking for a while, and it's like, great, I'm, I'm going to be learning how to fly fish, and, and I have the evidence to prove it on my phone that day that it keeps track of your elevation. It says you walked 120 floors today. Uh, you know, it, it'd be like, Wow. 120 floors worth of steps going up and down the elevation. And a lot of it was straight going over this mountain, but it was hard. But it was straight for the most part. I think the hardest part to being a follower of Jesus 
is understanding his ways. And so today, we're going to talk about Jesus as not just a shepherd, but the good shepherd. And let me at least give you a little bit of an illustration that I think has been helpful to me. I was reading John Ortberg's book, A Soul Keeping, um, just over a week ago, and he gave a great illustration of, of when the Word of God says, like, give trust in the Lord with all your heart. I think sometimes another way of saying it in Scripture is give Him all your soul. You know, as created human beings, God created us uniquely with a soul that is to work in harmony. But what does that look like? And he gave this diagram that I think was hugely helpful. It's a diagram. Uh, he, he says, here's what encompasses the soul. And he says the soul is kind of like the, the chess piece of the king on a chess set. Now, the king on the chess set is a very vulnerable piece, right? For those of you who know chess, if your king is captured, you are done. The frustrating thing about the king piece is it can only move one space at a time. It is very vulnerable. And this is why another one of the Proverbs says this, guard your heart with all diligence. Guard your king with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. And so he says that the very core of the human soul is the will. He says you've got the will, and it's, it's kind of like the energy source. And it, it's central, but it's, it's, it's limited because it takes so many of its cues from the mind. He says the mind is the endless ability to think, and so many times how we think then relates to how we feel. Whatever context we're in, it could lead to certain emotions, certain feelings. So it says you've got then that dynamic, and then both of those really govern the energy packet of the soul, which is the human body. But he's saying the human soul uh, encapsulates all of that. So that when the Bible talks about heart, when the Bible talks about soul, giving the Lord all of your soul, it's going back to that creation time where God created these and they were in perfect harmony in the very presence of God. All of these were in perfect harmony. And then sin disrupted everything. And here's what sin did. Sin replace the soul with self. And those two are very, very different when you think about because the self is wired to neglect the soul. The soul is designed by God to be connected with him in relationship. But when we overemphasize the self, it costs the soul. This is why when people are stressed out, it's like, well, take care of yourself. When people feel empty, it's like, well, fill yourself with what you think is going to do it for you. 
When people feel insecure, it's like, well, just believe more in yourself. You see how many times self comes into play? It says, if you feel like you don't have a voice, well, you know, there's plenty of ways to express your voice and express yourself. You see, all, everything about the self is about control. It's like, what I love about the self is I feel like I can control something. But that control comes often at the absence of a healthy, healthy soul. Thus, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And what I love the imagery in Scripture that we read through the Old Testament and now going into the New Testament is this idea of the Lord God, Creator God, being our shepherd. That is imagery that we see. And then, and then throughout the Old Testament, you have God getting on to those that he is uh, allowed to shepherd his people, but they have been false shepherds or bad shepherds to the people and leading them in places that are just not good, just not wise. And so that's what brings us to our part of the journey today, which is John chapter 10. I want you to turn there in your Bibles to John chapter 10. In the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's the fourth of the Gospel accounts of Jesus. The author, John, was a disciple of Jesus, and he was out to prove Jesus as God, Jesus as the Messiah who takes away the sin of the world. That is his reason for writing. And John chapter 10 is a very popular chapter in the Gospel of John, but I think it's also helpful before we read this incredible account that we understand the, co- the, the context in which John 10 was coming from. It's really an overflow of John chapter 9. In John chapter 9, if you look there at the scriptures, you have a situation where there was a blind man and the disciples of Jesus said, who sinned, the blind man or his parents? And Jesus said, neither of them sinned, but he was born blind so that God will get the glory in this situation. And so what happens then is is that Jesus does something very offensive in the story. He spits in the dirt. Now I want you to imagine that. A guy blind cannot see anything he, he hears the words whose voice sounds like one with authority, and then he hears this. I mean, that's an offensive sound. And then you hear the spit, and then, and then Jesus does something and makes mud and puts this mud on this blind man's eyes. I, w- I want you to think about that. And Jesus heals this man, he just says, hey, wash off the mud. And as he does that, he is now able to see. See, Jesus works in ways we don't always understand. And so in doing that, it says that this blind man has a testimony now. The religious leaders were saying, who healed you? I mean, yes, the reputation is you were blind. So how is it that you are able to see? And this blind man says, I don't know how other than 
This man touched me, and I, I, I once was blind, and now I see. It was a very powerful testimony. But the religious leaders did not like that. In fact, they say in verse 28, they reviled him, being the blind man, saying, you are his disciple, referring to Jesus' disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. He says, we know that God spoke to Moses. Moses was given the law. We follow the law. Basically, what the religious leaders were telling this guy was that you do not belong in our same sheep pen. You don't belong. You don't measure up. You don't follow the law like we do. You were born blind. That was the judgment of God. You you see what the religious leaders were doing that Jesus was confronting. He was saying that you are turning a blind eye to those who Jesus loves and has invited to enjoy everything that is the family of faith. And so with that context, Jesus then says these words in John chapter 10. Could you please stand for the reading of God's word. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's what this text is all about, how to have abundant life. It is the synchronization, the harmonization of everything that encompasses the human soul being under the authority of the Lord. But verse 11 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. Who is he referring to there? He's referring to Gentiles. Those who are not part of the Hebrew nation, those who are not called as the people of God, are now, this is what Jesus says, I have come to prepare, and this is going to be offensive to you. (laughs) 
but I am including these that are outside the people of Israel. He has used the nation for a time, and now he's continuing to now say, I, I'm, I'm, I've prepared the way for this one flock, one shepherd. Verse 17, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This is the charge I receive from my Father. Isn't that good news? He says, no, my life isn't going to be taken from me. I am giving my life willfully, and just so you know I have the authority over death, you're going to see me take it up again. But look at verse 19. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes? Of the blind. Let's pray. Lord God, we all have vulnerable souls in need of direction, protection, and provision. In the way the sheep know the voice of the shepherd, may we trust your voice leading us even to those places that feel like deserts where maybe certain gifts have been sheared from us. And because of that, our trust in you as the good shepherd is waning a bit. Restore to us this day the joy of our salvation through maybe a perspective we haven't considered before. Open the eyes of our souls today, I pray, in your most holy and precious name. And all God's people said, amen. Please be seated. From this text we read today, there are three needs of the human soul from this passage. The very first one is this. The soul searches for a shepherd because it needs direction. You need to know that the human soul, the composite of everything that is us, is extremely, extremely vulnerable. More vulnerable than you could ever imagine. This is why the imagery of sheep in the scriptures because sheep are not the smartest of animals. And I know sheep get a bad rap, right? They, they get a bad rap. I mean, for a sheep to live in the wilderness alone is certain death. It just is. A sheep has no defense systems. Many times, sheep will even find themselves eating poisonous plants. And if the shepherd doesn't catch them enough to, to at least provide the, the healing ointments, um, that sheep is dead. Sheep are not the smartest, but here is credit they do not often get. They have an incredible auditory sense in that when a very new lamb is born, all a shepherd needs to do is pick up that lamb and whisper in its ear, allowing that lamb to get acquainted with the shepherd, to be able to identify the shepherd's voice. Now, that's pretty amazing because when you have varying flocks, even in the same pasture, what can happen is that a shepherd comes and says a particular call with that shepherd's particular voice, and guess what's going to happen? Those sheep know the voice of the shepherd, and they follow. It's amazing. 
Now, maybe sheep aren't your thing. Maybe penguins are. I remember seeing a documentary on penguins. Penguins are amazing in that when the eggs are, are you know, the, the, the eggs are laid, guess who has to sit with them? The, the dad. The dad sits on the eggs while the mom often waddles many, many miles away and then comes back many times about two months later and guess what? Dear old dad is still there on the eggs. Some of you are looking shocked like, man, (laughs) that better not happen in my household. Things would be a mess. But in the animal kingdom, yeah, these penguins, there could be about 3,000 penguins uh, in this one area. And could you imagine the mom having to identify which batch of eggs is mine, right? But God has miraculously made it to where that spouse is that what you call a married well, anyway. Um, they can identify the voice of their mate. They can identify that. That's miraculous. That's what we have here. Jesus says, those who know my voice, those are those that allow me to lead them. And to lead them where? To, to lead them out into pasture. And here's what gets confusing for all of us. Sometimes he leads us out to that destination where our wool gets sheared. Now, I'm not a sheep, but I've seen enough a video of sheep getting sheared, and they don't like it too much. What are they getting sheared of? They're getting sheared of the beauty of their wool coat, what their identity is in. It's like, wow, I look like a, a, a great sheep. And then now, what is my shepherd doing to me? He's shearing me. That is so mean. Right? But do you know if that shepherd does not do that, that that wool will grow, the rains will come, the sheep will fall over, the sheep won't be able to get up, and they can die. And so while it does not sound loving for a shepherd to shear the sheep, the very same time, sometimes he leads us, us into those pastures. Those pastures where he's shearing something off of us for our own good, even when it doesn't feel like it. See, that's where it gets tough. I know the women in the women's studies here this week, they are going to be uh, talking through the story of Elijah. And Elijah went through this situation where Elijah, he was doing great prophet work. And then God told him to do something that didn't make sense to him. He said, as a prophet, I need to be where the action is. And the Holy Spirit of God said, no, you are going to go to this uh, riverbed named Kerith. And as you are there, I'm going to take care of you and you're going to learn what it means to depend on me. Now, he had every reason to say, but I'm a prophet. I'm called to be this. I don't need that. You're already gifted me in this way. But he said, no, no, no. You need to learn from me what it means to be stripped of everything, all of the gifts I've given you, 
and totally learn how to depend on me because that's going to take your faith to a different level. See, that's the direction the Holy Spirit of God wants to invite us into. You see, in human development, human development starts in the same place as babies, right? And it's so cute when babies act like babies, right? It's so cute. They're so dependent. You know what's not so cute? When they're teenagers and adolescents. And they're still acting like babies, right? And so how you treat the baby and how you treat the adolescent is very, very different. You do that because they are progressing. They are growing from here to maturity. And if we don't allow the good shepherd to lead us to those places, we are going to really stymie our own growth. Does that make sense? See, the soul searches for a shepherd because it needs direction. But secondly, the soul longs for a community because it needs connection. In fact, so much of sheep is about being in community. And here, the Pharisees were keeping people from a community because it was saying, you don't measure up to this community. But here you have Jesus. He's saying, I am the door. I'm the gatekeeper. And what's amazing about the door is he is the exclusive door to his people. Did you hear me say that? He's the exclusive door. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus puts it this way. He said, follow the narrow way. In fact, in in Matthew chapter, okay. Well, I lost my place. Anyway, there is the narrow way in Matthew where it says that you um, take the narrow way, the, the way that people don't want to go there because it is so narrow. We are tempted to go to the Broadway, but he says that's not the way that leads to life. The way that leads to life is the narrow way. He is the exclusive door. How do we know he's the exclusive door? Because of his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you remember the night he was going to be crucified? He, before he was betrayed, he went up to the garden and he was pleading with the Lord. Do you remember his prayer? Lord, take this cup from Man, that's the humanity of Jesus right there. He's saying, this, this is something, I mean, the sin of the world put on me. Please take the cup of your wrath away from me. But then how did his prayer conclude? But not my will, but your will be done. That's harmony, folks. That's harmony. With the will, that's harmony with the thoughts, that's harmony with the body, that's the picture of what our humanity is to look like, the human soul is to look like. But see, the question then begs, okay, Jesus then alone atoned for the sin of the world on the cross. But see, again, this is what our society does. 
And I'm just calling out just an example of what our society will tell you. Our society says, no, don't work on the soul, work on the self. And so you build yourself communities that will help you become a better you. And so if we want a better body, we join CrossFit. And we join a community of CrossFit or those who love to exercise. And we exercise our bodies. And everything about that is about the exercises of the body, which in itself is not a bad thing. But when you let those connecting cultures supersede the church of the family of the living God, that gets to be a problem. Because this is the connection, Church of Jesus Christ, this is the connection where we are to love each other, where we are to get people's eyes and help one another, get our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ, amen? This is the culture to do that. It doesn't just have to take place in a larger setting like this. It can take place in smaller settings. But when we build our connections only with those that are trying to help you become a better you as opposed to you becoming a better follower of Jesus Christ, it's robbing your soul. This is what the shepherd is saying. He says, I am the good shepherd, but sometimes you don't feel good. Yes, and I know you may not like this, but I am the good shepherd continuing to go after parts of your heart that you have deceived yourself into thinking that is fully mine, and I'm leading you to that desert space to reveal to you that there is still a lot of work to do. And this is the hard thing about a follower of Jesus Christ is that the work he wants to do in me will continue to the day I breathe my last breath on this side of glory. We are constantly in the state of learning and allowing our shepherd every step of the way. But here is what we see so clearly in this text, that yes, even though Jesus is the exclusive way, point three is this, the soul is only healed by the cross of Jesus because it needs redemption. Our soul got out of sync in Genesis chapter 3. We start living for the self as opposed to living with the Lord. And what happens is that there is this debt that we could not pay and that's what Jesus paid on the cross. That is the cross fit that our souls have to be exercised with the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is why in a couple of weeks we've got the seminar, Gospel Fluency. I want to invite you to that because it is going to be such a great expression of how it is that the gospel works in everyday life. Because for so many people, your Christian life is simply about a destination. When I die, I go to heaven. No, it's so much more than that. It is John 10, 10 where Jesus says, I have come that you will have life and have it abundantly. Not just in the life to come, but in the here and the now. Here are the false kinds of shepherds that I think we find ourselves responding to. Self-salvation. We've talked enough about that here this morning. There's that self-salvation, like just become a better you, and that if you become a better you, then you will impress God enough for your salvation. 
Well, that's a false shepherd. How about relational salvation? I see people doing this all the time. It's like, hey, if I have a relationship, I'm finding my salvation in the relationships that I have. Well, again, relationships you have are good gifts of God, but sometimes when you look to those as salvific, what will happen is that they will disappoint you and your faith could come crashing down. How about economic salvation? Economic salvation is salvation through money. (laughs) Salvation through this is where I'm finding my security. Well, all it takes is for the stock market not to be all that great, and all of a sudden your world can come falling apart. Why? Because that is a false savior. In today's day, everything is about political saviors. Political saviors. I mean, you're seeing it all over social media. Everything is like, if only this would happen then, and we're looking to that to save us. But the same Lord who's the same yesterday and today and forever said this, if my people humble themselves and pray, what am I going to do? Heal their land. Humbling selves. Coming into the authority, saying, Lord, take my heart. But there's another kinds of false salvation. That's religious salvation. This is the moral salvation. It's like, hey, it's, it's what the Pharisees were doing. You don't measure up unless you hit the standard. But once you hit the standard, you measure up, we'll let you through the gate. And Jesus says, no, you've got to be far more inclusive than that. Yes, the cross is exclusive, but it's an it's a inclusive invitation for all. John 3, 16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And that life starts here and now. In 2 Peter, we read this. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He says, I want everybody's soul to dance again in harmony. That's why Jesus came. And so here is the big idea of the morning, that there is a level playing field at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. It's a level playing field. All are invited. I know I've been having so many encouraging conversations yesterday morning at the men's breakfast. I was talking to one guy who was helping prepare the food, and I know a little bit about his story because there was somebody here that God moved in the heart to start inviting them around their dinner table, and they started developing a relationship to the point where around that dinner table, they started sharing Christ, and in sharing Christ, all of a sudden they go, well, let's, let's try the church thing out, and they've been coming here and then starting to plug in, and he says, I didn't realize how great faith could be. And then, between services, another guy came up to me and he said, oh, God has put this one neighbor on my heart and I am so excited about this. He just says, I don't know what's happened to me, but I just want to tell everybody about Jesus. And they go, isn't that good? The invitation is for all. Let's embrace the inclusivity of Jesus in that the invitation is on All humanity, because every human being has a soul. And that's what makes we humans unique. Listen to this. When Jesus was going around and and inviting those to follow him, he says this in Matthew 16, 24 through 26. 
If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And then he says this, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? And then I got to thinking about that. I've always read that, and I thought it talked more about the destination of losing soul. For what is a prophet of man if he gains the whole world, if he's going after all of those false shepherd voices that the world keeps throwing at you? That when you do that, it's going to forfeit your eternal soul. But now that I read that, it's like, no, it's, it, it's your diagnosis now. You start going after these false shepherds. And it's going to cost you your soul now. And it's a loving shepherd who wants the best for his creation now. And so how will you respond? How will you respond? I'm going to invite the worship team to come up in, in response to the word of God. But my closing question is that I really want everyone here who's watching, who's listening, who is here to contemplate these three questions. Who is leading you? Who is leading you? Is it the very presence of Jesus himself who says, now there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So I know that it is safe territory to come before a holy God because of the cross of Jesus Christ. And see, when we're in that space, it's a beautiful space. But again, my concern is has religion, the practice of even coming to church, robbed you from the joy of salvation? I think for so many people, it has. Now, I'm just going here. I'm just going to go to a sermon and go through all this and just, okay, good. I've done my duty. I'm out of here. You could go to church all your life and be transformed zero. Your shepherd does not intend for that to happen. He says, I have come that you will have life. I've made the way for you to now begin the process of growing up to look and become more and more like Jesus Christ, the perfect human being, the perfect one walking in total alignment with every aspect of his soul. So who is leading you? And next, what community is influencing you or most influencing you? You might get together with people, even church people, and it does absolutely zero for your walk of faith. We live in a time where there is so much depleting people emotionally. I'm one of those. People say, how are you doing, Brian? I said, I am emotionally depleted. I'm spiritually feel good. I'm just emotionally depleted, just tired. So many people going through hard stuff. But it's the good fight because my peace rests in this fact. That he who began a good work in me is going to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And I know that this in-between time that I'm living in, the Lord is leading me to those paths. Some of those paths strip me from everything that is comfortable, shears me from everything that I know. And sometimes I feel like that naked sheep that's been sheared. They look so good, and then they were sheared, and it's kind of like, <laughs> you know, it's like, ah. But it's, it's good for the sheep. 
men and women, we have a good shepherd, a good shepherd. And my question is, have you placed your faith in the saving work of Jesus? He is the exclusive door. Not politically correct these days, but he is the exclusive door because he alone atoned for the sins of the world. He alone has a grave that's empty. It's the power of the resurrection. Amen? That's what we come back to. If there's no resurrection, there's no Christianity. But here's the good news. If people would have only identified a dead body on day four, that would have been the end of Christianity, but they couldn't do it. You'd think it'd be the easiest thing to do. And another proof point is that the disciples who followed, who were scared to death, but then they encountered the resurrected Jesus, guess what? They all died for their faith. They all died for their faith. That's how convinced they were of Jesus' resurrection. The question is, are you, have you placed your faith in the resurrected Christ? Are you putting yourself in community that's going to help keep your eyes off of circumstances onto him? And then the question is, are you allowing him to lead you every step of the way and allowing you and your cup to be filled to overflowing every morning of saying, Lord, just give me the grace to make it today for all that you have before me. Help me. Give me fortitude to make it today. Let me pray for you. Lord God, I thank you for this family of faith. And Lord, I pray that each one will really take these questions very seriously. That we will honestly say, is, are the voices of certain ones leading? Or is the community I run with, am I allowing their voice to be louder than the voice of the shepherd. Lord, help me to be in tune with your voice. Help my heart, Lord, to be in tune with your leading. And so, Father, I pray if there's anyone here who has not placed their faith and trust in Jesus, that they would do that right now by repeating after me. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. My life, my soul has been out of rhythm because I have chosen to live for me time and time again. But now, Lord, I crucify that. I, 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 I carry the cross. I crucify my flesh, myself to you. And Lord, now I humbly come under the authority of your headship because I know that is what my soul was built for. Lord, give me the strength and the courage to live in the security of that day in and day out, even when life gets tough. Lord, help remind me that you are a shepherd who promises never to leave me and never forsake me. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, aren't you glad that we can live in that? I mean, that's good news. Aren't you glad we can live in that? We don't just have a shepherd. We have a good shepherd. We don't always understand his ways, but we can always trust his heart. Amen? Can we stand and respond to the message of God's word?